We're in Mark chapter 11. Tie in with where we've been reading. Of course, on Mark 13, today's reading. I bet today's reading can open the door for a lot of questions, couldn't it? We're done reading with that. It opens questions for me, and I'm the preacher. <laughs> Mark chapter 11. And uh, we're going into a little bit of a series, a sequential series of the uh, next few services. And uh, I'm entitling it uh, Jesus' Temple Teachings. You know, see why. And if you've been reading, you may have noticed, sometimes you read and you've read well and you, you've paid attention to what you're reading, but you may not notice it at the same angle or the same way someone else may. But um, if you the, uh, deal with the, uh, uh, the teachings when Jesus was around the temple and He brought the men to the temple here. And uh, there are several, several different things, I, I believe, which, where we're going to start in chapter 11, going through uh, chapter 13 to the end of it. We're not doing that all tonight. Don't get scared with that. Um, but uh, it, it breaks down into some very natural divisions in there according to the text with that. And uh, so, uh, Ed, Ed, will you do me a favor? Take that music stand and move it where I can't see it. I don't know why it's sitting in the hallway where I can look at it. Thank you. Appreciate it. There we go. Oh, okay. There's the... Yeah. There you go. My brother Tim was coming back the other direction and he set it down for some reason. Sorry, that's distracting me. I'm like a calf with a new gate. I can't tell what I'm doing when something like that happens. Um, and so uh, we're going to begin tonight in uh, Mark chapter 11 and uh, verse 27. Of course, Christ had been at the temple earlier in Mark 11 and had cleansed the temple of the money changers and such as that. But uh, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 11 and verse 27, go down through here just uh, through part of, the, part of the passages down here. And uh, tonight I'm going to be dealing with this aspect of it. I'm dealing with the issue of authority and ownership. That's what I'm calling tonight. And you'll see matches authority and ownership. And that's uh, dealt with here by Christ. Let me pray with you, all right? Father, guide our minds into Your Word. It's amazing. You open up all of eternity to us through the Word. Help us to have wisdom to hear what You say to us tonight. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 11 verse 27 says, And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now, what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to read through everything we're going to cover tonight and then go back through and highlight some things. But I want to continuity in the reading so that we can follow this, all right, and see it as it fits together. So these elders and the scribes and the chief priests and elders have come. And say unto him, verse 28, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay, so have this going on. And uh, <laughs> so the, he makes a statement. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? 
Answer me. <laughs> and they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Amen. Chapter 12. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it, digged a place for the wine vat, and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. So he leased this out to him. And at the season, he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent unto them another servant. And at him, they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, they send an, he sent another, and him they killed. And many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. For they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And uh, go back here and look and begin in verse 27. A couple of things I want you to see tonight from this because the question that was brought to Jesus here and his answer, and then the parable he gave in conjunction with that. All have to do with the issue, two issues. One's authority, the other one's ownership. Those two things go together. The authority issue comes up with these, uh, with those who have come in, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Notice what they say in verse 28 there. The, uh, um, they say unto him, by what authority doest thou these things? Now, what things are they talking about? Well, most recently, the overturning of the money changers the cleansing of the temple. He had come in and wrecked havoc in the place. He, he, he just upset them completely, literally. Ran people out. And also, he wouldn't allow people to go through there carrying their goods and their wares. They weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to go around the temple. And instead, they were coming through. And by the way, through the temple, it wasn't into the holy place and the most holy place, but it was the temple courtyard area that people were cutting through there, just making God's place nothing but a place of common merchant, merchandising and that sort of thing. Jesus had just busted the whole thing up. 
And so these folks come, by the way, one would not wonder that there might be some money made with all this going on in the temple. Someone's making money at this. And so they come and they say, who gave you the authority to do this? By what authority are you doing this? Who gave you the right? Now, Jesus had given them Scripture for what He was doing when He did it. And they knew the law well enough to know what He was doing was in keeping with the Jewish law. But they said, who gave you authority to do this thing? And see, there's the issue that always comes down to that. We say, who actually gives authority? There are more authorities than just God Himself. I'm being careful how I'm phrasing things. Um, you say, well, all of it derives, or, and it cannot exist if God doesn't choose it. Okay, I get into all that. That gets into quite a discussion. The point of it is that we live in a world where there are human authorities also. And there are human authorities in different situations. Um, take for example, if uh, as an authority, um, uh, Brother Brian comes here and, and he's in church here. He's a Sunday school teacher. As a Sunday school teacher, he uh, is under the oversight of me as, as the pastor. I say this or that about the class and we talk about things. Of course, he does a very good job with his class. But he's, he's under that authority. Now, he's not out doing patrol anymore, but when he was, if I had met him <laughs> under different circumstances out on the highway, then the roles would be reversed. <laughs> I never wanted to put him in that dilemma. <laughs> when we were at Liberty Baptist, we had a state highway patrolman that was, uh, was a member. He got saved and baptized there at the church. And uh, um, Hargis, and uh, his last name, good fellow. And uh, I remember once, uh, Brother Jeff, my pastor, said something to him about, well, if you see me out there on uh, you know, 120, 127 or up there on 70, and... Uh, he said, well, he said, Pastor, he says, well, I'm here, you're Pastor. With all due respect, he said, you're out there, you're just Jeff. <laughs> and he said, he said, was he joking? Nope, not at all. And, uh, and, and so you see different authorities, aren't there? So they asked this question. They said, who gave you authority to do this? All authority was given to Christ. And here he was, Doing God's will, but yet it was being questioned why he did it. It's a matter of authority. And it comes down to a matter of authority in our lives. Do you know one of the happy things about our circumstance in life is this? Most of the time, most of the time in our lives, truly following what is God's authority, most of the time in our current situation, in our country, most of the time does not run in direct conflict with the human authorities in our country. There are other people who that's not the case. Day by day, they're facing the conflict of that. But the ultimate authority is God. We have a, a new fella uh, that uh, inspected our buildings this year for fire inspection. Got to meet him. Brother Carver is always so glad when I'm on property. He does a good job of me. He's glad when I'm on property when they show up. And the fella came in and he said, hey, he introduced himself. And the fellow that we've dealt with for years has had uh, dis uh, disappeared. They didn't disappear. 
don't know why he said that. He, he retired. I don't know where this beard came from. Um, <laughs> and what was funny about him, you're, the last year, not this past uh, summer, but the year before that, not the year before that, the year before that when we could have vacation Bible school, he had showed up to do the fire inspection during vacation Bible school. But you know what this place is like then. And uh, I said, man, I said, we're in the middle of Bible school. He goes, so I see. He goes, well, I just need to check, make sure exit lights and stuff. He goes, I understand things are not like they normally are in the building. And by the way, and I appreciate how everybody helps out trying to keep up with things around here. Um, he made the statement. He said, uh, he said, your building's always in good order. So see, that's, that's important. You start dealing with that. Gary, what was his last name? I can't remember. Um, anyway, Hatch, thank you. Who said that? Yeah, thank you, Miss <laughs> Sheldon. Um, so there we go back there. And uh, he, uh, he, he came in and uh, he said, what are you doing right now? For each other, I was the only one on property. It was kind of that lull time between the morning and everything else in VBS. And I said, well, I'm setting up chairs out here for vacation Bible school. He said, I got a few minutes. Can I help you? And that night at Bible school, about half the white chairs that got set up out there that, that he, had, uh, he had helped us set up. So that's great. So um, we've got a little time to train this new guy before Bible school. And uh, anyway, he was a pleasant fellow and came in, looked at everything with that and showed him. And, and uh, by the way, he made a suggestion on something on a couple of carbon monoxide um, monitors. Not necessarily something we had to do. But he just, you know, hey, this, this would be good. And I think, you know, we're, we're missing something you need in the building here with it. And those are in place. Went and got those. Why? That's the authority. He'd come in. That's fine. I'd take that. We've had, we've had a couple of things over the years that inspectors come in and said, you know, uh, this, have you thought about this? This is a little more safe. If you do this, you could have a problem. If not, that's fine. That's good. We want that. That's good. We've had that with the buses too. I mean, there've been a couple of times we've had inspectors who are kind of looking for things that are inconsequential, but quite often they're actually pointing out things, you know, Hey, we need to know this. And this, this is a potential problem, but that's, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we do that. We pay property tax on, well, not on that section anymore. We let Paul do that now. That's his. But on the section back here, when you go past the ice flow, um, we, we, we pay property tax on everything back there. Now, we don't down on this. Uh, and the state of Ohio has deemed that it's tax exempt if we're parking on it or preaching in it. Amen? So we're going to put one parking place every 500 feet. Up. Anyway, <laughs> see how that works. But <laughs> we get that done. So we do that. We tried to. We tried to get around. We pay. We pay. Uh, we pay a fee for the water running off of our hard surfaces here, just like you do if you live in the city. Everyone else, for all the surface area of our building, and all the parking area, we are assessed a fee for all the water that runs off of it into the sewer system. The only problem is none of it does. Zero. The city sewer system is fifty-six feet higher than our parking lines on top of that hill. We pointed that out. Did the studies took it in? Here's the answer we got. Because I'm like, why would we keep paying this? They said, here's the answer. Your water runs into the creek, which runs into <laughs> the Hocking River, which goes under our bridges. So we're doing our part to offset the erosion we're causing. Oh, well. You say, are you happy about that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and many such things. 
But the first time they say we can't meet, we're done. Because it's biblical. First time they say we can't teach or preach a certain thing, we'd be done. Because it's not biblical. Or, and you need to catch the reasoning behind this, the first time they said they're giving us permission, we're done. They may not give us permission. And that's real important to get in today's day and time. Because people who can give you permission and exemptions are exercising authority over you. And you are submitting to it by accepting that. I would not, we're not asking about that. Now this is a matter of biblical things. But do you realize how narrow of a focus that is of all that we're doing? We're operating buildings. We've got the equipment operating. We have a lot of different things that are involved here and they check on. Those are not the matter of what is actually the authority realm where they're stepping into what's God's authority realm. That's very, very narrow focus and nothing has happened with that. Um, there were a few things of intimidation people gave into with it, but it was not, not specifically done. People just gave in because of intimidation. But the thing of it is that with, with this, it's a matter of authority. need to get this down. In other words, as Christian people, most of what we run into, vast majority in our life, we may decide what we're doing. Now we may be making a political decision. We may be making something what we're doing as far as society. But as far as biblical belief as Christians, it has to be direct violation of what the Bible clearly teaches before we can say, no, that would be a compromise of my faith to do that. Not that it's just inconvenient for me to do that. Now, I can't answer for you and you can't answer for me on these things. But these scribes and Pharisees and such that came to Jesus, they wanted to know who gave you the authority to do this. Now, look what the Lord did here. He said to them, He said, okay. He doesn't answer their question. He says, I'm going to ask you one question. He said, now if you answer that one question, I'll answer your question. Here's a question. John the Baptist. Was his baptism of heaven or of men? He said, now where'd he get his authority is what he's asking. Now, I'm not going into all of it, but John had had run-ins with these Pharisees and such. In fact, he called them vipers. He says, you vipers. You vipers. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Go forth and bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. He wouldn't baptize them or anything. He said, get, get right. I mean, he just tore them up when they came down. Because they came down to check him out and report back on him. He just, he just took them out of action when he did that, verbally speaking. And uh, he said, who, who, who gave John his authority? Then look what they did. It's interesting. Verse 31, they reasoned with themselves. 11 verse 31 saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him, right? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people for all men, counted John that he was a prophet indeed. At no time in their consideration was the issue what is right, what is wrong, and what is true. That's not in the reasoning. The reasoning is, how's this going to go when we answer 
May God give us enough conviction of spirit in our, every part of our living that we stay with what we believe is right and true, not just how something's going to go. I believe it's a valid consideration if how is something going to go takes into consideration how it may affect someone or some bodies else. In other words, I may decide to do a thing or not do a thing according to how it will affect somebody else. I believe that's a valid consideration if you're not compromising to do it. That may be charitable to do that. You understand what I'm putting out there? But may it never be say, how's this going to work for me? And then go from there. May it always be because we believe it's the right thing to do. And by the way, we will have to have God's courage and God's help to do that. Because when the pressure's on to do the right thing, then that pressure will be very personal. There may be things, okay, if we took one, two, three, four, five of you right on that row, there may be something you encounter and maybe some kind of pressure to do this or that or, you know, and it wouldn't bother me at all to have that kind of pressure. It really wouldn't affect me. Partially because I'm older and been through some things, but partially just may not affect me. And at the same time, it may be a great pressure to you. And then there may be things that aren't even in the realm of anything you face as pressure that I face. Because you never get past it. Got news for you, youngins. People talk about peer pressure on kids. Let me tell you, peer pressure never goes away. And so what you have to do is you have to learn to follow the Lord. That's where the strength comes in. And so the issue is each of us, whether it be one of you or me, each of us at times will face things that we feel personal pressure on and we're going to need God's help to take a stand. And uh, I believe God will help us if we want Him to. But let me show you something about their decision making. Look at verse 32. But if we shall say of men, look at the phrase, who did they fear? They feared the people. That's interesting. Uh, look in chapter 12 and verse 12. And they sought to lay hold on him, but they did what? Feared the people. Hmm. Look over in chapter 14. And I'd noticed this when I was reading through Mark, one of the times I was reading through it this summer, in sequence. Verse 2, well... Verse 1, let's begin there. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death, but they said not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. They feared the people. That's what was driving them. Here's the statement I put down with that as a footnote in my Bible. It is the nature of tyrants, religious or otherwise, that they fear the people. And you mark that down, it's always true. It is the nature of tyrants, religious and otherwise, that they fear the people. That's why they try to oppress and suppress with that. And so, they couldn't do it. In verse 33, I love that they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. Jesus answered and saith unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. So then he starts in the parable. Get the picture of what's going on. A man takes the money and invests and built and has a vineyard. So you have plants. Um, all the costs that would be to outfit it or, or to uh, populate it, a vineyard to get it started. 
I'm no expert on such things as a vineyard, but I have noticed any that I've ever driven by, and of course there are a lot more than there used to be. You see them around different places. I know when my wife and I, some years ago, went up to Niagara Falls and we were going through part of New York, it was just as far as you could see. It just kept going, kept going. And you notice that there are some kind of framework or some such thing, I'm sure there's probably proper names for all this, that uh, for those vines to go up on and setting up, so you would have the cost of that. I've noticed in the vineyards I've seen, they're kept very clean, you know, undergrowth type stuff coming up. Um, I'm sure maintenancing and taking care of things is probably important. I wonder how you keep birds. I mean, you could end up with some real fat, fat birds and no profit. They used to have that place where they grew blueberries on Route 23, just north of Circleville, and they put that green netting over that whole thing there, trying to keep the birds out. Um, but you have all this investment, so he did that. Then he hedged about the vineyard. What he did, he put something about it uh, to, to distinguish it, maybe keep people from just walking into it. Certainly trying to keep some types of animals maybe, uh, at least making it a little harder for them to get in. Then a wine vat. So you have the construction of that. You have the placement of it. That's where they're going to they're be uh, uh, processing the, the, uh, the grapes and all of that there. And he built a tower there and it has that maybe somebody can watch over things and different things that are used so there's quite a bit of investment you got buildings built you have uh, the ground some reconstruction on that you have the plants you have all this going on so he's invested in it he's the owner that's his notice the, the biblical language in fact it's still a uh, it's still very much language used in contracts in verse, uh, in verse 1, it says, And he built a tower and let it out to husbandmen. You talk about subletting an apartment or that type of thing. That's a, that's a terminology which is common use. He leased it out to them. But who owned that? It wasn't the husbandman. It was the certain man, he's called in here, the one who had built it. Because he's the one who, if you will, in the context I'm talking about, he had created this vineyard. It was his. Wherever this piece of property was, it had not been a vineyard before. He had made it that. So it belonged to him. Now, look what's happening here. You have an issue of authority, asked Jesus, centering on baptism of John. But then Jesus takes the parable a step further and he says, I'm going to teach you something about this. And he said, what I want to teach you about this is he said, there, there's this man, he built the vineyard. Okay? Stay with me here for a second. All right? Anybody want to guess why someone would build a vineyard? Pardon? To get the grapes. Get the grapes. Get the, the, the wine that's pressed out of it. Right? You think you'd do a whole vineyard just for your own? Not unless. <laughs> Pardon? Profit. Exactly. He's, going, he's, he's wanting to make profit off of it. He's, he has started a profitable venture. But he has entrusted someone else to take care of the action of this. These are called husbandmen. By the way, a little side note teaching here. You see the, you see the root word in that? Husband. You know one aspect, if you, want to, if you and I want to know one of the aspects of being a good husband, find out what it would take care, it, it does to take care of a fruitful plant. The care, the attention, the nurturing, all these things are important. Very, very important. And so these husbandmen, 
These people are to care for that vineyard. Why? To make a profit. Now, wait a minute here. Why do you suppose these husbandmen rented the vineyard? Just to be a nice, nice guys to the guy who owned it? What do you think they have in mind? Profit. So there's enough profit for each there, right? And is that not a good, healthy thing? Yes. It's good for them. Maybe either they did not want to or did not have the capacity to have the investment capital to start this venture and get it going. I don't know what all the reason would be. But instead, maybe they don't want the risk. Maybe, I don't know why. But they were given the opportunity to be a part of this and they would profit, they would be blessed by what this certain man, the Bible calls him, what he owned. But they do not own it. There becomes a big problem. I want you to go down through the account and we'll, we'll go back up. Look at this statement in verse 7. But those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir. This is when that man's son comes. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance shall be what? Ours. They didn't say we will inherit it. They said the inheritance will be ours. They're going to take it by force. So the big problem is that they started viewing the vineyard as if it was theirs. They didn't own it. If you were in this morning service in here, they were not the owners. We read verses about that, didn't we? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And so here this man owns this and these others are running it. But what happens? The, hus- the, the, uh, uh, um, the man goes to a far country in verse 2, at the season, when it was time, he sent to them a servant. Now you say, what's this all talking about? Very clearly, if you study, look at what the Bible's teaching, very clearly, he's talking to these scribes, these Pharisees and such. And he's talking to them about the Jewish nation. And them in particular. In fact, so much so, it says that they wanted to destroy him because they understood he spoke the parable against them, it says in verse 12. They, they got it, and they were right. He had. He's showing them by this story, this parable, what their condition is. Here you have the Jewish people. God's chosen people that He had taken out of the land of Egypt and of which He had made a nation. He had tabernacled among them as we learned this morning. He had given them His laws. He had given them the oracles of God which that term in the Bible shows up talking about the most holy place and talking about God's words are the main two things it talks about with that. They'd given him the law and the oracles of God. They were committed to them. The Messiah was going to come through them. They had every advantage in their relationship with the living God. And he sent prophets among them. And he would send them at the season, at the appropriate season, he would send the prophets. Now, okay, 
Why were these servants coming? What were they coming to get? Money or however they were going to do it. They were coming to get their master's rightful due for what he owed. God sent prophets and teachers to tell God's people, here's what you are to give to God. And you may narrow your focus there just to a monetary thought with that. And if you do, you're being a little too tight in with your thinking. Because uh, we're dealing with the whole scope of their life, their praise, their worship, their loving God, all of this. And these things are extremely valuable to the Lord. In fact... If you study the Bible, you find out that those things are always put before sacrifice and before monetary things and that sort of thing. They're of primary importance to God. So God basically comes to these people through His servants, sends His servants and says, your life should be for God. But what was the response? They beat the first one. Second one comes out, they throw rocks, hit him in the head and hurt him. Another one comes, they kill him. And it keeps going that they kill and they injure and all that. If you want to read about it, just read about what happened to the Old Testament prophets. We talk about, you know, they're up there preaching and all that. Man, they went through it to do that. Why? What was going on? The problem was one of ownership. But the husbandman said this place should be ours. It wasn't theirs. They had no right to it for ownership. And you know, if they had worked with the owner thereof, he had already demonstrated by action that he would build something and give them an opportunity to be part of something that would be a blessing and if they were profitable, they could help that to perpetuate and expand. But now they want to do it themselves. They're going to do it their way. They're, they're going to take it themselves and take it over. <laughs> it's amazing how often somebody who's done nothing thinks they can do everything better than anybody else. They've got an opinion and a comment about everything and they've done, done nothing with themselves. They know how every business ought to be run, but they've never started one. They get in churches and know how every church should be run, but they've never even so much as been faithful enough to help in a ministry. They know how every pastor ought to conduct himself, but yet they themselves have never tried to minister among the congregation in a helpful way. Sickening. Makes me sick. That's what happened here. And they, they said, oh, we're going to do this. And then what ends up happening? Let me show you a couple things with this. Um, he left it to them. He wanted, he wanted, the, uh, he wanted the, the benefit from it, and yet they refused to give it to him. In other words, that would be like us not caring what the Lord wants in our life. Some people even recoil at the question, what does the Lord want for you? Act as if that's not an issue. And yet He's our Creator. If you're saved, He's your Redeemer. He is the Redeemer, regardless whether you're saved or not. 
Second thing I noticed when I was looking here, look in uh, verse 2. And at the season, he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. Interesting thing. The husbandman wanted the whole thing. Watch this though. But without the one whose vineyard it was, in other words, without that certain man, they would have had nothing. They said, we don't want to give him part of what we have. But it belonged to him. And without him, they'd have nothing. That's a slow thing for people to learn sometimes. But they wanted the vineyard for themselves and their own purposes. Look down in verse 10. Of course, in verse 9, we find that the Lord of the vineyard comes and destroys the husbandman and gives it to others. Let me tell you what happened with that. And, and, and please understand something. Let me give you an understanding of this. Or give you instruction. Understanding of you. Um, I'm speaking to the Jewish nation, Jewish people. It doesn't mean every single Jewish person did this. And those who did do what God wanted done, they were blessed by God. There were many Jewish people who accepted their Messiah. Even many among the the priests and such did later on. But as a nation, they rejected him. As a people, they rejected him. That's why they've been set aside for a while. And guess where the gospel went out into with power when that happened? Went to the Gentiles. That's what Paul ran into. And that's the statement. He said, seeing you judge yourselves, he said this to the Jewish people he was preaching to. He said, seeing you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, I turn to the Gentiles. In other words, that gospel, which was supposed to be yours, you're rejecting, but God's going to go to the other people with it. Now, there were still... Paul still preached to Jewish people after that, and Jewish people got converted. But you understand as a nation, the Bible teaches in detail, it's like an olive tree. And you have the natural olive tree, and there's a wild olive tree. And it was like God, as a husbandman, took the wild olive tree and took a branch, cut off part of the natural olive tree, and grafted in the wild olive tree. That exact teaching is taught in the Bible to explain us Gentiles. We, we weren't naturally part of what God did. But His mercy's been extended to us. Thank God for it. And so, that was a blessing. But look what happens here with it. And then, look in verse 10. And have you not read this Scripture? By the way... Think of Jesus found every time he was teaching that he quoted Scripture that was already written. It'd be a good thing for any of us who teach and preach to often go to the Scripture. That is the source of authority, not us. He said, have you not read the Scripture? The stone which who rejected? The builders rejected. Has become the head of the corner, the most important stone from which the rest of the building is all structured. Everything about that building's orientation, weight, load, everything is determined by that. But who rejected it? The builders. The very ones who had the capacity and should have seen the value of it. They set it aside. It's the builders. That's what was so onerous about it. 
was the fact it was the builders that said, no, you're not worth anything. And by the way, that's described as a precious stone and a tried stone. Very valuable. And yet they set it aside. Why? I'll tell you why. It's because of what this parable said. They wanted to do it their way. We'll not have this over us. And the inherent rebellious nature that dwells in us, that, that will rise up at ugly times, says I'll not have anything. I'll not have a book tell me what to do. I'll not have God tell me what to do. I'll not have something over me. I'll do it my way. And therein is the inherent base nature of sin. And they said, no, we're going to do this our way. And it led them into a murderous situation. Then it's absolutely amazing. Verse 12, look at it. They are very upset because he just gave this parable talking about these husbandmen who killed everybody who was sent to them. Right? They're very upset that they're being described that way. How dare you paint a picture of us like that? In fact, it upsets them so badly, look at their reaction. And they sought to lay hold on him. <laughs> How dare you paint us as the people who would kill those sent to us and hurt people sent to us and damage? How, how can we? How can we get a hold of him? Huh. Wouldn't it be convenient? If what that shows, if we could just say, well, that's those people. Those bad people back then. Not like us now, huh? We don't have any of that in us. Those bad people. Too bad they're not like us. The seed of hypocrisy is in us. May we have sense enough not to water it. And they, it was only the lack of opportunity that kept them from doing exactly what the parable had taught them that those who rejected God would do. You know, when Jesus is standing in the temple teaching this, can you imagine, think about your Lord here for a minute. Can you imagine the courage it took to teach something like this and do these things? He's doing that looking in the face of people who are angry at him. Perhaps you've had the occasion, as I've had the occasion in life, to have somebody come at you just angry about something. Angry about something you said. Angry about something you, you taught. Angry about something you believe or something you've said. Now I'm not talking about if we've said something out of line, but just, how dare you do that? And then they, how dare, get all in your face about what you believe, what you do. I mean, standing your ground then and uh, saying, yes, that is what I believe. Yes, that is what I, I, I believe is right. That takes some courage to do. 
I don't take courage to blow up against some kind of big fight with somebody over that. You know, that doesn't take courage. But just to stand there and do like this and just say this is the way this is, that takes some courage. Jesus knew they wanted to kill him over this. He just looks at him, deals with it. Our Savior was very courageous. <laughs> this concept of some kind of little, you know, sissified sort of fella is just so ridiculous. And by the way, it's not because he came up in a carpenter's house and he probably did strong manual labor coming up, which he probably did, no doubt. That's not where the real strength was. The strength was, man, sometimes he would have large crowds coming at him. These old-time prophets. I mean, we, we kind of rejoice in the story, you know, of Elijah up there on Mount Carmel. But when you've got 850 against one odds, that takes some doing. So how would they stand? How would people stand? How would they do that? Well, you've got to have enough God in you that He matters more than what the people in front of you do. And only God can give you that. Let me make a statement to you. I'm not being smart like with you at all. I'm really not in the least. I've been saying kind of this in a private way to some folks as I've been trying to help them with different things. That's for you to get, not for me to give to you. My, my job is to instruct you. Open the Word of God clearly. But that's for you to get God in you. You understand that language, don't you, what I mean by that? That's for us, that's not for me, and that's for you. For you to go forward in your walk. And uh, God will help you. You set yourself to do it, He'll help you. Matter of authority and ownership. Who's authority? Here's, here's a concern I have, and I'm done here. I have this concern. I'm afraid we can sometimes spend so much energy and focus in areas that aren't worth it that we don't have any energy and focus left for the areas that should be cared for. We can fight so many periphery things that we don't have the strength and the focus for what is important and essential. Tell you a sad thing that happened in independent Baptist churches in the 80s, especially the early 80s. And a good deal of it had to do with Ronald Reagan being president and wanting him to be president. By the way, he was an excellent president. Um, but many churches that would be our sister type churches got so involved politically. I'm not saying they shouldn't have been involved at all. That's not my point. They got so involved that it became the focus. It was the focus of the songs that they were singing. It was the focus of way too much of the preaching. May God help us as men of God. And I hope you'll pray for me as your preacher. Through all the different weird things and trying times, I'm trying my best to keep this place focused on the Word of God. Because if you're strengthened with the Word of God, you'll be able to make the decisions you need to make as you're dealing with all this other stuff. And you're the one who has to make them. Right. My job is to try to help you be strong in the Word so that you can make the right decisions that you need to make. But what happened... So many got, it was, it was unbelievable. You had, to, you had to be around then to, to kind of see what was going on. 
And I was for President Reagan. If we had a way to resurrect him and put him back in office, I'd do it. And some other politicians have been sometimes compared with Reagan, and my only thought is, you obviously didn't live when Reagan was there. Um, he had a different way about him, didn't he? And yet, obviously not a flawless man, but a strong man. Um, but here's what happened to the churches because of it. They got fighting the political battles all the time. It became the thing. And they just feed on it and feed on it. And they lost their focus. Quit reaching out with soul winning. Missions went down. I'm not talking in one or two places. There was a huge church that ran buses and literally reached thousands of people in Indianapolis, Indiana. It no longer exists. Buildings are, have been sold off and everything. Do you know what precipitated that? They got into this political realm and they kept fighting things and fighting things. I think you know of it, Jim. They got to fight about taxes. Registration. And registration. Yep. They lost everything, and before they lost all the property, and it was over registration that had to do with whether or not they were paying their employees taxes right. withholding. That's exactly. That was exactly what took it out. For instance, we just we have W2 employees here, and we have uh, we have two full-time, three part-time church employees, and then we have others that are with the school. And there's W2s, and there's withholding tax. The church withholds that. I'm in a weird category because of some exemptions I unadvisedly took when I was younger. But, the, uh, um, but anyway, with it, for instance, we withhold on Brother Carpenter the part we're supposed to on Social Security, and the church pays that, and we withhold the taxes and turn in for his W-2s. They were fighting that. They took a fight on that. They said, here, no, we're not doing that. You can't have us do that. And they took a fight on that. And they don't even exist. Indianapolis Baptist Temple. And it used to reach thousands. It fed people. Ran a rescue mission. Supported missionaries. People were called to preach. Missionaries went out of that church. And it doesn't even exist. Why? Because of this is the issue of authority and ownership. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. You better believe that there's a, there's a right and a moral way not to pay a tax. I'm for it. <laughs> I'll not give those folks one dime. I don't have to. You say, why, why would we do that? Because we operate in this world and there are other authorities other than just what we're doing for God. Do you know before that they lost all their property? I mean, it's gone. It's gone. It doesn't even exist. You know before they lost all that, you know what happened? It went down to what? Maybe 100 people? A little something like that? Why? There wasn't anybody there anymore. Big old place. Scores and hundreds of families came in and were taught. And young people, and in the nursery, and choirs, and a place where people came, and the songs of God being reached. God! You know why? Because they fought the wrong battle. 
or you may at some point have to make some decisions what you are or are not going to do as a Christian. You don't carry the burden and don't need to, and it's going to be appropriate of what we will or will not do finally as a church on certain things. But you you may have to make some decisions about what you'll do. And now what I'm telling you tonight, and here's the message. Let's get ourselves so aligned with the Word of God. Let's keep doing what you're doing, feeding yourself on these reading you have opportunity for and stuff. Keep growing so that when it is your time and when it is our time collectively as a congregation to have to face and make decisions about things, we can make them in a way that honors Christ. Not make it because of pride, not make it because of ill-advised, but make it because it's right and it's proper. And may we have sense enough to save our main strength for what's most important. You can't fight 15 directions at once. And God didn't put this church here to teach our government a lesson or anything else. And by the way, do I even have to mention anything to you? If, in, if you haven't watched me in the last two years and figured out where my give or don't give is, then you're not paying any attention. But I want you to be strong. I want you to be able to know why you're doing what you're doing. I think the Bible puts it this way. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And I'm just encouraging you tonight as your pastor, get to the Word. Yield your spirit to God. Don't have this thing of it's your life. Well, I don't care. Oh, God's not interested. I'm just going to do whatever I'm going to do. No, no, no. You better put those things out there before the Lord. If you don't want God's input on you, if you don't even seek Him, you're already engaging in a form of idolatry. And I choose my words advisedly. Because you're not even yielded. Just say, okay, Lord, here, here it is. That's all I need to give you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your mercies. I pray your people will be encouraged tonight that they can know you and walk with you. And I pray you'll help them, everyone who honestly wants to. God, give them guidance. They only they answer to you. They're your people, Lord. And I pray that everyone, that sincerely to any degree, Father, you've been so patient with me, Lord. There have been times when just a small flicker of this has been alive in me towards you, and yet you took that small flicker and you, you, you've You've just stayed close. God, help your people. Help them with that. Be good. Father, help them, please. I don't even know how to articulate what I'm thinking towards you. But I do ask you specifically for your people that they'll have guidance from you to be able to follow. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. Something you want to talk to the Lord about. Now would be a very good time to do that.